Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi. Hello. Maximus. Hey, how's it going? All right. So what, what brought you here? I'm just checking out some new technology. It's kind of interesting. When did you find out about Skype? Or Skypecast? Um, actually. You knew about Skype before, or just Skype, or, or nothing about Skype or Skypecasting before? Nothing about Skypecasting before. No, but you knew about yeah. Skype, though, right? Yeah. How did you I'm, find out? How did you find out about Skypecasting? Um, just doing some research for work. I was actually looking for what like the best video conferencing tool would be. Ah. So, and I was just looking into. How many people do you want a video conference? Um, I think probably about. It uh, should be more than ten. I can't imagine more than ten. Yeah. So. Have you looked at yeah, iChat and Macintosh systems? I don't think they can do ten yeah. though. Really. Yeah, I haven't. Well, I haven't done any video conferencing, so I don't know anything about it. So never mind. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I have to check that out. So, what's um, what's your Skype cast about? Well, are you a Star Trek fan? No. <laughs> uh, not, not at all. No. You you don't know who the Borg are? No. Oh well. <laughs> Um, of course, this really has nothing to do with that, except uh, I use that as a metaphor. Really, you don't know anything about... Where are you from? Where do you live? Uh, Houston. Houston? Texas, yeah. What are you saying? Uh, I'm in California. Do you know... You you do know about Star Trek, though. You've heard of Star Trek, the That's TV it. I've series. Seen quite a, I've seen some movies in Star Trek. They're pretty cool, actually. Uh-huh. Okay. There's one on... Uh, the one Star Trek where the, the, the there's a, like an orb floating around the Earth and oh yeah well actually I I'm not really much of a fan of Star Trek anyway I mean I like <laughs> I like them but I just think it's an interesting metaphor um, you know the I, the Borg are this uh, well yeah actually if you've never if you don't know who the Borg are I can't explain it to you it's a they're these sort of gray people that get absorbed into this this unity you know and they don't have any individuals at all they're just they're all just extensions of this this uh this uh, what's the word consensual reality or something you know no no that's not the word there's a word i'm looking for and i can't remember what it is maybe the race of cyborgs yeah well, yeah like that except they all share the same mind they don't have any individuality at all they're just they're just you know like end organs on this this big mind uh listen uh Ron wants to say something I'm gonna turn his mic on okay Ron you're on yeah the cyborgs are like uh like uh, part of a mainframe and each individual that becomes a part of the cyborg here this mainframe becomes a part of of them and um so the captain is part of the one, 
So the mainframe is the one, and all these individuals become the one when they become this, this Borg. They get so, absorbed yeah. into the Borg, and they that's, are no longer Bill and true. Mary. They are Borg. I am Borg. <laughs> one, the one. They are. They become the one. But I think that the way the Borg are portrayed on Star Trek is a disservice to the Borg. They make them appear to be ugly and gray and mindless and anything but fun. And I don't think that's necessary. I think it's entirely possible for us to have uh, a, a planetary mind, a single identity, and yet retain our individuality. The Borg don't have to be these gray, ugly, boring things. They could be beautiful dancing musicians and scientists and uh, sportsmen and dancers and singers and having great fun and yet still all share the same mind. So that's why, uh, and my name for the Borg is Bob. So... And I think that really is what's happening on this planet. That's the transition our planet is going through. Is that higher yeah, Bob? You can do with globalization. With what? Yeah. With globalization. globalization. Um. Yeah. 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 It's related to. Um, well, that's part of it. You know, what's happening on the Earth right now isn't just uh, isn't just something people are doing. The planet itself has its own dynamics, its own, you know, it's just like when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, you know, it's not the cells doing it, it's the whole system going through a systemic change. And uh, I think that's not, it's not unreasonable to use that as a metaphor for what's happening to the planet right now. The planet itself is undergoing the emergence of the first global civilization. And that's going to change everything on this planet in the next 20 to 50 years. You know, all of our political, social, religious, economic institutions, they're all designed to serve the industrial and the agricultural era, you know, and, and nation states and tribes and stuff. But we are, we are beyond all that now. We are headed, we are in a global civilization, whether we like it or not, you know. So we need to uh, figure out how to deal with it. So what do you think about that? Uh, you're right. I think it's interesting. How, how old are you? <laughs> 30. 30. What do you do? What kind of work? IT. Yeah, okay. So you're Technology. a computer guy. You know. You know yeah. about what I'm talking. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. It's a new world. You also will understand my whole idea about English 2.0. What's that? Well, English 2.0 is um, basically a debugged subset of wild English that's designed for clear thinking and accurate communication. Literally, I I'm well. Um, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of complicated. It's not really. I mean, it's it actually the whole idea is really easy, but actually explaining it takes a little bit of time. Um, uh, well, you're you're a, you're in IT. You're a programmer, I assume, right? You do you've done some programming anyway, right? Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
Um, and you know that if you have a job to do, the, the very first thing you have to do is to get the uh, specifications for the application. What is it that the people want? What is this application going to do? Right. And, and you go into that extensively. Only after you have that do you consider what language you might use to render that application. Because different languages have different structures and that make them better suited to one application or another depending upon what that application is. Well, the same thing is true of natural languages. English has a structure. It's thousands of years old and it's totally insane and, and, and almost useless, but it's what we have. And when someone invents a computer language, of course, they release a beta version of it uh, near the end of the you know development phase, and then they develop, they finally you know get most of the bugs out of it, and they release 1.0, and then within a couple months, probably they have a 1.1 version because there are a bunch of bugs that they hadn't caught, and now they know about them. Well, so I started looking at English a number of years ago with the same idea in mind. Let's debug English. Let's get all the problems out of it to make it useful as a tool for thinking and accurate communication. And what I ended up with at this point, well, I haven't ended up. The process is still going on. But the major idea is that Earthling, or English 2.0, is English minus what I call the five stupidities. There are five uh, words, actually specific words, or groups of words, or classes of groups of words that um, carry unconscious, erroneous assumptions with them. And um, anyone interested in doing any serious thinking would better be, you know, able to do that if they didn't have all these stupid, erroneous, unconscious assumptions imposed on their thinking by the English language. Like, like which one? Well, uh, actually, um, I'll, I'll tell you in a minute, but first of all, I, I need to tell you, do you have a couple minutes to listen to this? Because I don't want to go into it if you don't, you know, have like yeah, a like few minutes. Many? Oh, no, like maybe yeah. five or ten minutes, something like that. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. Um... This is a story you may well have heard before, but if you have, just stop me. But if not, uh, it'll be interesting to see how you react to it, okay? Here's the story. A father and his son were coming home from a soccer game one Saturday afternoon, and they were involved in a head-on collision. The father was killed instantly. The son was taken to a local emergency room in critical condition. He was wheeled into the operating room. The surgeon walked in, took one look at the kid, and said, I'm sorry, I can't operate on him. That's my son. So, uh -huh. so is that story okay? Is there some problem with that story? Or what's your, what's your judgment on that story? Well, obviously, it was a mother, right? Well, obviously, of course, of course, it couldn't be anybody else. But um, the fact that you've answered that tells me either you've heard this before, or you are the greatest genius I've ever met. <laughs> no, I'm not a genius, but it just takes a second to figure out. But I can see your assumption. You presume that the doctor's a man. Yeah. Well, let me tell you something. I have told that story to literally thousands and thousands of people over the last forty years. Nobody. Nobody except you 
has ever figured it out. Yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Um, I'm, I'm absolutely serious. Many people have heard the story before, and they say, you know, I heard that story 20 years ago, and I'm and I and I'm stumped by it again. So, so honest to God, you know, it may just be luck, you know, just blind luck on your part. You just happen to be at the right place at the right time. But I'm telling you, nobody has ever got it out of thousands of people. So you win. I don't know what you win. I don't have a prize for you. If I did, I'd give it to you. Though. So, Thank you. Uh, anyway, let me just tell you what the general reaction is. The general reaction is people say, well, there's a problem with that story. You said that the father was dead, <laughs> you know, because language for most people, for damn near everybody but you, <laughs> uh, when you use the word surgeon, yeah, like you said, uh, people automatically assume that the, that the surgeon is a man. And therefore, there's this real big problem since the father was dead. So people come up with instant reincarnations and clones and uh, step parents and any any sort of weird possibility they can come up with, rather than going through the most obvious logic in the world. People have two parents: one male, one female. Male dead, therefore female. You know, I mean, it's. Like you said, it's pretty obvious that the surgeon must be his mother. So I don't know why you got it, but you can feel very superior because nobody else has ever gotten it. Well, sometimes I do feel superior, but... (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the point of that is that, uh, again, it's a little bit lost on you, but you'll have to take my word for it that nobody else ever gets it. And the reason they don't get it is because of an unconscious assumption that's embedded in the language itself, and, and because of that, it, it stops the most obvious of logical deduction that's possible, and they are left with what they think is a problem. Of course, there is no problem. It's obvious there's no problem. But they think there's a problem, and they feel confused, and they feel the need to somehow explain this bizarre paradox. So, But, of course, that's a trivial example, but it's a good one for making a, a point about the power of unconscious assumptions. And that's that's the main issue here, is how the language imposes unconscious assumptions on our thinking. And what I would say, then, not is further, to, I mean, to just say it boldly, 90, probably 90% of all human psychological, philosophical, religious, political uh, problems, differences, difficulties we find ourselves in... Um, are created in exactly the same way. They aren't problems at all. They're only problems because of unconscious assumptions that we bring to the situation or that the language itself, actually more accurately, that the language itself brings to the situation that the answer to all of these problems is not finding an answer to the problem but seeing that there is no problem at all. Interesting. Do you think that English should be more like Latin-based languages that actually like fix the gender to certain? Well, things? no, I don't think that's necessary. Um, you know Latin. That's that speaks Spanish. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I, I studied Latin in high school a long, long time ago, but uh, so I don't hear many people referring to Latin. But in any case, uh, I don't think. Yeah. In that, I don't think that's necessary. There's a simpler solution. 
to the thing, and uh, and that's really what. Uh, well, it's not. That's right. We're not in the transhuman support line right now, <laughs> but it's related to that. Um, well, let, uh, let me tell you what the five stupidities are because they're very simple, uh, okay. except for one. Of, one of them is sort of complicated for adults. It's easy for kids, but adults tend to get confused by it. Um, the first one is the word the. Most people don't even give it a thought. Can you imagine why that could be a problem? The word the? No. Okay. Well, first of all, it's the most common word in English. It accounts for 6% of all printed text. So that's uh, that's just interesting in and of itself, that a single word could account... I mean, we have 500,000 words in English, and yet the word the accounts for six out of every hundred words. Um, and the assumption is, well, if I tell you to go in the next room and get the green chair, what are you expecting to find in the next room? The green chair? How many? One. One. Not more than one. Only one. Otherwise, right. I'd say get a green chair, wouldn't I? Right. So anytime the word the comes up, there's this underlying assumption of uh, that there's only one. Okay? And that assumption is built into the nature of English. You cannot... And you know about default values, too, don't you? Like in databases, like where you come to the state, you know, and your your data, your address book automatically puts in, you know, Texas in your case, right? Automatically does that. Well, English has default values, too. I mean, for instance, I have no idea what I'm going to say in my next sentence. You know, the, the particular words I'm going to use is as much of a surprise to me as it is to you. Because there isn't time for me to think about that kind of stuff when I'm talking. I just open my mouth and out this stuff comes. And it comes out according to the programming of uh, the grammar of English. You know, like I say, I don't think about any of this stuff. And for English, the is the default value for a whole class of nouns that require an article, either a or an or the. And for all of these words, the default is the. So, for instance, if if your boss comes in and says, I want you to find the answer to this problem. <laughs> and in fact, even I, do this for me. Do, me. do a little experiment for me. I'm, I'd be interested. I want you to say out loud, what's the answer to this? Or no, just what's the answer? What's the answer? Say it out loud. The answer to what? No, just say what's the answer. What's the answer? Okay, now I want you to say what's an answer. What's an answer? Now, do you notice any difference in how easily that flows out of your mouth or not, whether whether one flows more easily or one sort of feels like it needs to get stuck or something? Or Do you notice any difference? Yes. And, and what do you notice? It is, of course, it's easier to say the and. The yeah, yeah, what's the answer? Yeah, yeah, it feels quite unnatural, actually, to say what's an answer. It just doesn't feel right. To an English speaker, because, again, we weren't taught this, but, like I say, the default value for English is the, for the word for the word answer. I mean, it's okay to use what's an answer in certain circumstances, but generally what comes out of people's language machines is what's the answer. And so then the problem is, if you have an un 
unconscious assumption, just like surgeon has the unconscious assumption of maleness, if you are looking for the answer to your problem and you find an answer, but you think it's the answer, then you can stop. You don't need to look anymore because you found the answer. So what the does in that case is prevent you from looking at 25 other answers and then somehow combining all of those into a best possible really creative answer. What, we, what happens is the first answer that shows up becomes the answer, and therefore that's the end of the, uh, the project. The truth, the reason, the theory, the way it is. How many times have you heard people say, well, that's just the way it is? Of course, it doesn't sound very persuasive to say, well, that's just another way of thinking about it, but that would be actually accurate, as opposed to that's the way it is. But people say that all the time, and nobody laughs them out of the room when they say that, because everybody buys it, because everybody just sort of, I mean, they may, say, they may not think that's the way it is, they think the way they think it is, is the way it is. <laughs> you know, I mean, I know how the way it really is, but, um, but of course, you know a different one. Anyway, uh, the word the, I'm not going to go any further with that. The word the is the single most dangerous and uh, really crazy thing built into English, and it can be the, uh, can be used as the tool for breaking the hypnosis because it's so common if you start paying attention, if you start listening to other people, you know, especially people you don't like, you know, like politicians, like Bush or people like that, or, or you know, whatever. If you're a conservative, listen to listen to liberals, and if you're a liberal, listen to conservatives. You know, listen to the way they use the word the. Anybody you don't like, listen to the way they use the word the, and you'll be amazed at how they how it's being used to. Uh, to subtly keep our perceptions narrowed. Okay, advertisers use it all the time. We have the answer to your problems. <laughs> they don't just have Are you an a professor answer. Professor semiology or something. Well, I've studied that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, in any case, the word "the" is the major one, and that can be the real a deal breaker for you because if you really just pay attention to that one thing. What eventually happens is that, well, see, I, I, I have to back up again. There's another part to this, which is what I always tell people, don't believe everything you hear your language machine say. You know that, that voice in your head that talks to you all the time? Right. Yeah, you, you're familiar with that, okay? Well, most humans, well, not most humans, humans are identified with that voice. They think that voice is me, but... This gets into my whole transhuman theory, that there's a new species of humans. They look just like humans. I mean, genetically, they're identical to humans, but they, they function different, differently uh, linguistically. And that there's a whole new group of humans who are very clear about the fact that that voice in their head is not me. It's just their language machine. It's a machine. As much of a machine as your computer is a machine, only this is a meat machine instead of a silicone and metal and plastic machine. It's made out of meat. And the programming language that's used, its operating system, if you will, is English. It's not Mac OS X or Windows. It's English, 1.0. And um, 
So the difference here is is once you begin to observe your language machine, it actually allows for the possibility of the emergence of a new entity in the universe, the programmer of the language machine, who isn't identified with the program itself. I know that's a lot to swallow in one sentence. That's that's, that's no, not really. That's heavy stuff. I can understand that. I, I know you can. That's the beauty of this stuff. But it, it, but the implications of this are very heavy. I mean, this has serious consequences if this is true. If there is a new species emerging here, there's a fundamental break uh, here between humans and transhumans. The humans who actually believe everything they hear themselves say who are literally living in a, in a kind of trance-like state, trapped in the story that's running in their language machine. And then another group of people who look just Can like you, them... Go ahead. How do you achieve this by learning the... Um, well, one of the... Kind of like you know, to, to stop, to be conscious of their own thoughts and stuff. And to yeah, well, it starts by, like I say, you can use the as, as the key to this whole thing. I mean, you just start listening to it. Listen to the way people use the word the, and see the fact, and understand that they themselves are not choosing to use that word consciously. Their, their language machine is kicking that word out automatically to maintain the language machine's uh, stance. You know, I mean, the language one of the language machine's imperatives. Just like it's just like any good operating system. It, it has virus protection. It has protection against being altered. Okay, your language machine has that kind of built-in software. So, if you but if you begin to notice that stuff and watch it, then the one that is watching that is is a new entity. It's not in the program itself. It's it's something outside the program observing the program. Just what that is is real tricky to talk about actually this concept of self this gets into one of the five stupidities which is the concept of identity itself and that's that's the tricky one for adults it's kind of easy for kids but adults stumble on that <laughs> a lot but who we think we are is as historically is just absurd I mean, the idea that there's a, a little me somewhere, somewhere behind my eyes that's independent of the rest of the universe and separate from it and able to do things and all. I mean, that, that, when you really look at that seriously, it's just nonsense. It's children's stories. What's really going on is, is not quite clear. <laughs> so, unfortunately, that's really one of the mysterious things. But, but once you begin to clear up your language machine, at least it gives us the possibility of asking some more uh, pertinent questions than we've been asking so far. A question would be appropriate if you have one. I don't, because I'm scared to use the word the. <laughs> <laughs> Good, that's what you should be. No, and then listen, it's okay. Listen, I use I. Uh, listen, I slide off into stupidity a thousand times a day. The difference is, <laughs> I do it a thousand times a day, and then I and I hear it and recognize it and and get back on track. You know. Uh. It's it's okay to screw up. I mean, it, it, it I mean, it's not even screwing up. The question is whether whether you remain for months and months lost in the story, or uh, seconds. You know. So you know, yeah, you're gonna say the is programmed into you, and it's gonna come out 
that way for a long time unless you actually go to the trouble to reprogram it, and, and that's not easy. But being aware of it, like I say, uh, is the beginning of it, because the more you hear it in other people, the more you hear it in yourself, uh, the more you realize that it's not something you're in control of, well, like I say, the one who's recognizing that is a new entity. Well, so you got practically the whole spiel. I didn't tell you what the other five are, or the other four. The is the big one. That's number one. The others are with the acronym uh, DARE, D-A-I-R. Uh, D is for dualism. Two-valued logic, insisting the world is divided into two mutually exclusive uh, opposites, which is almost never true. Occasionally, it's a useful way of thinking, but it's uh, it's a childish oversimplification of reality, and yet people continually uh, come into situations and and immediately divide it into two mutually exclusive opposites and use that as their primary category for thinking. That is just insane. Everybody knows that when you point it out to them, and yet we do it anyway because, again, it's another one of those things that's programmed into our language machines and needs to be reprogrammed. Um, dualism, absolutism, another one that most people will agree to uh, if I mean, when you walk through all of the things. Words like always, never, every, all, you know, absolutes are, are almost always wrong. <laughs> I mean, sometimes those th those are correct, you know, but people use those all the time. And again, you know, this is that's another aspect of uh, English 2.0 is that it's real picky about little things like this. But that's exactly the point. Uh, and English 2.0 is not meant to replace English 1. Uh, it's meant to complement it. It's meant to be useful when you need to do some serious thinking, which, if you're lucky, if you're smart, shouldn't be more than about 5% of the time. I mean, if you're doing well, you don't have problems. Everything is going well, you know, and you don't need any of this stuff. But when things aren't going well, when I find myself tense or angry or scared or whatever in some state that I'm unhappy about, that's when I need to do serious thinking. And that's what all this is about. I would say that in situations where you need to do serious thinking, rigorous thinking, how many unconscious, erroneous assumptions are acceptable? And I say zero. If I know about them, I should be able to get rid of them. There are many more that I don't know about, you know, that I can still be burdened by. But the five stupidities, if those can be eliminated, man, that goes a long way to eliminating stupidity and unconsciousness. So anyway, we've got dualism, absolutism, reification is the third one, um, which is a little more, I, I mean, I, I can say it in a minute, I guess. It's basically, you know what a noun is? You remember what you were taught, what a noun is? What's a noun? Right, a person, place, a thing. Exactly the same thing I was taught. Yeah. yeah. Except that that's just simply bullshit. That's not true. <laughs> okay. Uh, nouns are persons, places, or things, or something else that isn't a person, place, or thing, and we don't know quite how to talk about it, but we just lumped them in there. I would say a thing, say a noun, a thing, is something you can put in a bucket. 
even if it's a big bucket, you know, I mean, like the, the galaxy. If you had a big enough bucket, you could put the galaxy in it, okay? Or a tree or a mountain or, uh, you know, a spoon or a mirror or a pen or a thermometer. These are all things. But there are other nouns, words like democracy, freedom, happiness, ego, religion, intelligence, honor, love. They're not things. You cannot put them in a bucket. If you and I have a disagreement about a spoon, you know, how much it weighs, how long it is, what it's made of, if we have any disagreement, we can take the spoon out. We can go and get the spoon, put it in front of us, and we can resolve the argument. But if we have a, an argument about the nature of religion, well, there is no such thing as religion. We can't go get religion and put it on the table and figure out what our disagreement is, because there's no such thing. Religion is not a word that represents the same kinds of stuff as nouns, things. But English grammar fails to make that distinction, and that leads to endless, well, listen to uh, any politician or philosophy professor talk, and what you hear is talking about talking about talking about talking, which is when, it's a little bit like if I say, um, does, does x plus 7 equal 10? Is that true or false? Let's see, x plus 7 equals 10. True or false? Huh? Are you still there? Yeah, the x is invariable. Yeah, right. So it's not capable of being. There's a name for that in mathematics. You know what it is? I think. Uh, well, propositional function. It's called okay. a propositional function, as opposed to a proposition. 7 plus 3 equals 10 is a proposition. X plus 7 equals 10 is a propositional function, because until you assign a specific value to the variable, it's meaningless. Okay? And all these words like dignity, honor, faith, happiness, are like X's. And basically, any statement that has one of these abstract nouns in it is simply not capable of being either true or false. They are literally meaningless or, abs or, or, or just, well, ambiguous. Not even ambiguous. Meaningless is, is a more accurate term. They have no meaning until you assign a specific value to what you actually mean in this situation by using that word. Of course, that makes conversation a lot more difficult. But still, it doesn't change the fact that any other... And, but, of course, these words have great emotional value. And people, um, people have a lot of emotion invested in hearing these familiar sound patterns. But if, if you're interested in the actual information content of the utterance, it's zero. But that doesn't prevent people from killing one another anyway. <laughs> Just because the statements are literally meaningless, they are weighed down with emotion. So anyway, uh, reification is another problem that, that just reeks in English. It, it, it happens, it's all over the place. People talking basically in propositional functions and utterances that have zero meaning and then arguing about it. <laughs> you know, that's really smart. And then the last one is the concept of identity. And I'm not even going to begin to get into that because that one is, as they say, that, that rabbit hole goes really deep. <laughs> and uh, but what it amounts to is eliminating the verb to be 
And uh, that's relatively easy for kids to get, is that you just can't say what something is. It's irrelevant. What, what you're interested in is what it does, not what it is. Because when you know what something is, all you really know is what it's called. And that's not knowledge about the thing itself. It's just knowledge about what you call it. Mm-hmm. So those are the five stupidities. And those, although there's probably a lot more, um, those five alone are sufficient to eliminate a huge amount of stupidity and lead to the important thing, which is disidentification with the voice. Is, is to is to finally break with the voice and get that the voice is just a machine. That's all it is. And you can, you know, listen to it. Sometimes it's brilliant. Sometimes it's insane. And it's very helpful if you're not identified with it because when it's insane, you can see that and stop it. So that's that's about it. I'm getting better at saying this. You know, Skype has allowed me over the last couple of weeks to say this several hundred times, <laughs> and and in the process, Have I'm actually it? I'm actually getting better at saying this. That's oh, interesting. I like your your ideas. Well, they're not really my ideas. I'm this is all stuff I got from other sources. I'm, I mean, I've, I'm putting things together from different sources here. Yeah, I suppose there are a couple little things I might have added that were mine, but not much. It's mostly just regurgitated stuff that's been around for the last, well, 50 years anyway. And some of it a lot older than that. Like, from whom? Well, well, if you you can go to my website and look at my bibliography. I don't know if you're a reader, but if you read my yeah. bib, my bibliography is there. That'll that'll tell What's your you. Website? Well, Gendo G E N D O dot net. And then when you get to Gendo dot net, on the front page is a link called Gendo. And you take that, and then on the next page you'll see a link to the bibliography. Uh, and Ron has something to say. I'm going to turn him back on. Hello, Ron. Well, you know, Aaron, yeah, it's been a good listen. And, uh, yeah, I got, you know, Michael. It sounds interesting. And V <laughs> is a pretty cool word. You heard this all uh, before, they, though. <laughs> you know. They, of course, is another word I'm really appreciative of. I mean, wow. Yeah, they oh, yeah, can yeah. Do all Watch out for them. All right, well, in- <laughs> all right, Bob. I, I can tell you some of it's kind of Buddhist because I'm drawn to Buddhism, too. Like, ah, so. yes. Ah, yeah. Oh, you're looking at my bibliography then, right? Right. You got a lot of Buddhist texts here. Yeah, there's. Well, uh, Maximus, it was nice, nice to hear your opinions, Maximus. It was uh, good to hear you in there, Aaron. I'm going to shut her down for the night. And okay, we'll Ron. Talk okay, to you good again night. Bye, time. Ron. And, uh, we'll, we'll, it was nice listening. We'll talk to you soon. Uh-huh, bye-bye. Hey, but I, I totally agree with your ideas. I think. I mean, I, I think. Yeah. The Dow. Yeah, I've read the Dow. I've read some of these a little bit. Not. Uh-huh. A lot. The, the Dow I have a Yeah. Yeah, I've been heavily influenced by Asian philosophy, especially Zen. Uh-huh. 
Cool. Well, so what do you think is going to happen in the next uh, 20 years on this planet? Oh, my gosh. I couldn't even think. Well, but, I mean, you're preparing for your future. Are you preparing for your future? I mean, do you expect to work and retire? And, and you know, are you married? Uh, do you have kids? Uh, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, a lot of things. <laughs> yeah. Are you married? Um. Not yet. Oh, oh, but you plan on getting married, huh? Right. Yeah. I mean, do you have? I mean, specifically, or, or just hope in the future, or I mean, is there someone you're like getting ready to get married with? And yeah, something like that. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> let me just encourage you to not do it. <laughs> but if you what? if you must, yeah. well, no, marriage is fine for some people. It, you know, it's a wonderful thing for some people. But I think most people, uh, especially men, marriage is uh, is not really what they want, you know. I mean, that, like I say, it's not for, I'm not saying this is for everybody. There are people who, I know people who I think are probably happily married and probably uh, it's good for them. But it, it's a small, small number. Most of the people I know who are married uh, are dead. Yeah. I mean, intellectually and spiritually, because it's a it's a commitment not to change for a lot of people, and it's also the end of sex too, which most men don't like. <laughs> I mean, it's okay for a while, but at some point, every happily married couple I know has separate bedrooms. I mean, people have been happily married for a long time. You know, and like I say, that's a wonderful thing if you're if you can sacrifice sex, <laughs> you know, if you can give that up. Uh, yeah. Well, you know, whatever. You know, like I say, you may be it may be just perfect for you, and so I'm just I'm just you know throwing out because I know most people don't get counseled against it. Everyone, you know, holds up the same old thing. Oh, what a great thing! Ah, yeah, you're finally going to get married and grow up. Blah blah blah. You know. Because they, they can't stand it, you know. They want someone else in their misery with them. <laughs> Do you know anybody who's actually happily married that you would uh, trade places with? Uh, huh? I have a, I have a uh, cousin. Yeah? That's good, yeah. It's good if you, uh, you know, if you have some decent role models and, and know that it is possible to have a happy marriage. Yeah. Well, listen, I, uh, it's not for me to pry hey, into your personal life anyway. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, good but, talking uh, to you. It's kind of late. Yeah. yeah, good talking to you. Okay, Thank bye. You. Yeah. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.